Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Katrina King, General Manager of Capital Solutions at QIC. And this week I'm filling in for Craig Balanswella, who is enjoying some well-deserved R&R. Each week we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday, the 6th of October. As we look back over the last few days, we've seen some good reasons for market volatility. We've had Trump in and out and in and out of hospital. We are potentially nearing completion on a US fiscal package. And I think it's fair to question whether it is Groundhog Day again on an imminent resolution between European and UK trade, or is there something more substantial going on? To help address these questions, I'm joined by Stuart Simmons, Head of Currency. Stuart, how do you think these factors have been influencing the market generally for risk appetite and what key market moves are you looking out for in October? Thanks Katrina. The past week has certainly been uh, an especially resilient one with risk assets performing well and the S&P 500 now recovering just over half of the drawdown from early September in spite of a deluge of political noise. Even ahead of the Trump COVID diagnosis, investors were inundated with headlines around the presidential election, the acrimonious debate between Trump and Biden, the back and forth of stimulus negotiations, and additional noise from Trump's tax revelations and the Supreme Court nomination. But Trump's diagnosis introduces a whole lot of new uncertainties. Foremost amongst them is the question of how is Trump's health? Even his discharge from hospital can be treated with some skepticism, with medics initially covering up Trump's condition to provide a more upbeat assessment. And the sense that Trump's inner circle put more emphasis on showing signs of strength rather than a more objective diagnosis. But investors prefer certainty over uncertainty. And the primary reason for the boost to risk assets on Monday is the perception that this increases the likelihood of a clear and uncontested election win from Biden, along with the potential for the Democrats to have a clean sweep of the House and the Senate. So Monday's price action also gave us a preview of what a so-called blue wave would look like, with equities rallying, Treasury yields higher, commodities bid, and a weaker US dollar. It does feel a bit premature to write off Trump just yet with a quick recovery likely to see him emboldened on the campaign trail and try to promote how indestructible he is. Uh, But notwithstanding the political noise, which of course isn't just isolated to the US with post-Brexit trade negotiations, as you mentioned, but investors are also comforted on those underlying pillars supporting that risk asset recovery from monetary and fiscal policy to the resilient recovery and forward-looking prospects of a vaccine that could trigger a new surge of optimism, particularly given central banks continue to be more biased towards more stimulus uh, and liquidity rather than less. Thanks, Stuart. As you, you talk about that resilience that we're seeing in the US economy, maybe we could focus a little bit upon the relativity of that to, uh, versus what's happening in Europe. I, I think this is a key week as we start to see PMIs coming out. What are they telling us about that relative outlook of strength? Yeah, absolutely. And and this, of course, is linked to the coronavirus and that second wave pandemic. Uh, and we've seen 
certainly a stabilization of that second wave in the US. Cases are ticking higher, but they seem a bit more contained than what's taking place in Europe with a second wave that's completely overwhelming what we saw on the first wave there. Uh, and that's certainly showing up in the momentum of that economic recovery. We're seeing the pace of recovery slow in Europe and those PMIs, particularly the services PMIs, which are more impacted by the pandemic. The EU services PMIs come in at 48, which uh, indicates a slowing, a modest slowing, but a slowing, whereas that uh, US services ISM uh, still remains very resilient at 57.8. So there, there is quite a divergence there between the experience that we're seeing in the US and across Europe. Thanks very much, Stuart. You're listening to Katrina King, and this is QIC's Market Moments. I'm now joined by Robert Swan, who is head of Risk Premier and Equities. Robert, we'd heard from Stuart that the US equity market is leading the world higher. Even though we've had a lot of choppiness of news with Trump in and out and in and out of hospital, how are you seeing this affect the term premium of volatility? Thanks, Katrina. Yeah, I think uh, if we look back on Friday when Trump's infection was announced, we saw uh, the S&P 500 futures drop almost immediately 1.8%. However, by the end of the day, they pretty much recovered that entire amount. And last night, we saw a continuation of that bullish sentiment. Um, in terms of numbers around the grounds over the week and a day, S&P was definitely the uh, outperformer. Uh, US equities are up about 3.3%. Uh, Europe was uh, slightly behind at 2.3%. And really, the Australian market has been the, the laggard of the week, finishing pretty much flat. Your question around volatility, what we've seen over the last week is the term structure basically flattened and flattened from the front. So what that's really trying to tell us is that the there is expected vol- high volatility over the next uh, month and actually all the way out until January uh, of 2021. Thank you. And as we look at that subdued volatility, we are seeing some jumps around in commodity markets, particularly oil overnight, uh, perhaps more modestly through the different car- through the other different commodities as well. Is this just something to do with risk sentiment generally, or are we starting to feel a little bit of an undercurrent of the inflation hedge and inflation concerns coming back into the market? I think last night you can pretty much put down to the, I guess, the sentiment around a new fiscal package, particularly in crude oil. I guess if we look over the whole week, uh, crude actually ended down the week around about 1.7%. Uh, and precious metals, which have are often talked about with an inflation hedge uh, in mind, they they had a good week. We had gold up one, uh, 2.7 and silver was up 6.4%. However, that's really just a continuation of the recovery from the sort of mid-September correction where we saw both fall pretty significantly. Thanks, Robert. So we've got a pretty big day in Australia today. We've got a perfect double header for easy policy domestically with the RBA out today and the uh, budget this evening. I'm going to be joined by Andrew Whitaker, who's Senior Portfolio Manager of Fixed Income. Andrew, how are you seeing this double header today and what's the market stance, particularly around the expectations going into the RBA and the budget? Thanks, Katrina. So we've seen the market um, begin to price in um, a 
90% chance of RBA cutting today. And if not today, then it will be in early, in November. We've also seen curves, nominal yield curves start to steepen. So the threes, tens curves, nearly 10 basis points, higher intra-week. And that's largely in line with um, global moves, but also kind of speaks to this, this narrative in markets that it's really over to fiscal policy here. And as budget deficits become larger, as, as spending by governments becomes larger, then the potential for more long-end um, government bond issuance increases. And that may begin to have, start to have an impact upon um, rising term premia and, and back-end yields. And so we've seen a lot of these themes um, play out in, in Australia also heading into the RBA and budget uh, today. So do you think that the budget is perhaps more influential for market? Yes, I do. I think, you know, the I think it's consistent with what we've seen in global central banks. It's really over to fiscal policy now. The Fed's iterated that. The RBA, to some extent, has reiterated that also. And really, fiscal policy is going to be the dominant lever going for, going forward. In terms of what we expect today from the RBA, well, the RBA has been um, unusually direct in its guidance more recently, um, whether it was the RBA um, minutes last month, the RBA meeting last month, the deputy governor's speech in late September, they really reiterated that they're not on track to achieve their employment and inflation objectives and presented a number of additional easing options. Whether or not it's today or whether it's not in November, a lot of the, the journalistic rhetorics leaning towards um, in, in November, just to give the budget um, time to kind of flow through the markets today and also to make sure it's independent relative to, you know, that debt monetization kind of thematic. So we're expecting additional easing from the RBA, but perhaps not today, perhaps um, later in November. Um, so it really comes down to the budget, which is of central importance. And what we've seen over the last decade or so is budgets really haven't moved markets, but this is a budget that has the potential to do so um, this time around. Um, the reason being, you know, we've seen a lot of leaks from the government. And if, if you know, that we do get some sizable um, upgrades to to um, spending from the government, then, you know, we may in fact see a larger than expected um, budget delivered. So currently market expectations are for around a $230 billion budget deficit this year, which is around 12% of GDP. So these numbers are eye-watering it, but in line with, you know, global peers and the spending that's been happening in governments globally. So what we're looking for today is looking to see um, what these range of policies um, will include. So we expect them to see to be broadly categorised into demand boosting, um, demand boosting measures, which like job, seek, job seeker boost, the investment incentives, we expect it to see broken down into infrastructure measures as well, whether it's smaller scale or faster to market type measures. And we also expect it to be broken into regulation type measures. But really what the market will be focusing on is a couple of things. We're focusing on how long the fiscal impulse is likely to last. They're likely to be focused on the quality versus the quantity of the measures that the budget reiterates. But the big thing will be the size of the borrowing program. So if we see, as expected, some kind of upside surprise to the borrowing program, there's potential for larger um, bond issuance. And then that larger bond issuance, which will get an update from the ALFM in due course, has the potential to place um, upward pressure on um, global uh, back-end yields in Australia also. So many of these things that we've been speaking about, whether it's long inflation, um, as we shift from, from monetary to fiscal policy, as fiscal policy plays a dominant driver there, you know, got the potential to be inflationary given we haven't had those two levers operating in tandem for quite some time. We also think that nominal bond yields also offer some asymmetry here given um, the potential for um, rising term premium and, and the feedback loop from inflation to drive um, nominal bond yields higher and also given the relatively low starting level of, of nominal yields. The one other lever which we've been expressing in portfolios has just been this overweight credit view as well. As we've seen in the RBA, you know, will likely cut rate cash rates further. 
you know, this front end, as front end yields begin to fall, then it starts to crowd out all market participants. And what it really means is it provides a compelling case to be for investors to be overweight yield and to chase yield. And credit is just how we're expressing this. And we think that, you know, yields, um, spreads in credit, sorry, can continue to trend back through their um, post-COVID tights based on that impetus. Thanks very much, Andrew. So senior, we've been joined by Andrew Whitaker, Senior Portfolio Manager of Fixed Income, who's talking about a desire to be overweight credit, uh, perhaps more tactically on, on positioned on rates with a view to curve steepening and uh, um, concerns starting to creep in a little bit on inflation coming back into the market. You're listening to Katrina King and this is QIC's Market Moments podcast. I'm now joined by Paul Nicholson, who's Director of Global Absolute Return and income funds. Paul, we heard from Stuart a little bit earlier that the ECB has been pushing back on the strength of the euro. How have you seen that play out in the implications for uh, rates markets and credit throughout Europe? Yeah, thanks, Katrina. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, look, very much it's been a focus for the ECB, um, Europe, Brits, US. If we remember, back uh, a few months ago, Europe came out of the recoveries, into the recovery stage very, very quickly, came out of traps very quickly. Um, we saw a strong uptake in PMIs. And, and since then, what we've really seen is a notable fall off, as, as Stuart mentioned. Um, really, there's, there's, there's main sort of, in, in terms of activity, these more localized shutdowns that they're having, but also we actually had core inflation fall to its lowest level ever in, in Europe. Now, there's, there's, there's two main factors there, you know, in terms of uh, the German VAT rate cuts, which are all fully priced in. And of course, we've seen the strength of the euro. So uh, there, there's absolutely no doubt, you know, even when, you know, listen to, to Andrew there is, you know, every central bank and every sort of fiscal policy around the globe does not want to see a stronger currency here at this point, right? It's really just going to be um, a drag on them and the ECB is no different. So where the ECB has started to sort of job on that has been in terms of what they're going to do in future meetings. Now, Andrew said a very interesting point, which is, you know, monetary wants to see fiscal do more, um, but, you know, this tic-tac-toe has been going on in Europe for the last eight years, and now it's coming right back into the monetary side. Every time um, someone says, look, the monetary policy can't go further, well, the, the reality is in a world of unconventional monetary policy, we can make new stuff up, and, and mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, when our analysis is actually showing that the PEPP is going to be very significantly used going forward, and this is in, in favor of it versus the APP. Now, if you remember back to, to April, the PEPP is essentially, there's a lot of an acronyms here, bear with me, but essentially the, the pandemic version of purchase program is much broader. You know, they allowed Greece to be included, you, you know, the, the levels in terms of issuance, the, the levels in terms of the size of a bond. It basically means it's all encompassing and they can buy a lot more of it, no matter what sort of kind of paper and where geographically that paper is. And also they can veer off what's called the capital key and they've done that very significantly. So we think that uh, the PEPP, that's the emergency program, will be increased probably in December. Um, now, if one analyzes how much they do of that, uh, you need to take into context, you know, an actual increase in the number, you know, numbers of billions, etc. But also we need to then uh, look at historical numbers in terms of economic forecasts. So we're going to get downgrades from the ECB economists. 
this month as well, which is going to be very closely looked at. And then if one also then throws in the level of fiscal deficit right across the eurozone that we're going to see and the, the, you know, the supply of debt that's going to come out of that, essentially that gives us a number of around four to five hundred billion in additional PEPP program. So asset purchases of four to five hundred billion. That'll take the total program to about one point seven five trillion in terms of monetary policy purchases. And now the the next stage is that's just the number. Now they can extend. So instead of June 2021, we expect it to be the end of 2021. And then, of course, there's additional measures they can use above and beyond that, which is, you know, they can they can increase the term of the uh, TLTROs. There's another an acronym for anybody that wants to to to, re, to revisit it. And of course, the reinvestment horizon of the purchase programs can be extended to way beyond 2023. So the, the, the point is the ECB is really throwing the kitchen sink at this. They're very mm. worried about these inflation numbers. And so expect in the fourth quarter, probably in the December meeting, that we're going to see more monetary. And that comes on, on top of the huge fiscal impasse and, and sort of policies that we saw passed in, um, in the Eurozone only two months ago. So we actually think that Europe is, is uh, first is US, Certainly, they want to get that currency down, and this will be quite effective in doing that. Thank you very much, Paul. So, with a lot of US news and European news, we can't forget about just how big today is going to be in Australia. And to that end, I'm joined by Richard Garland, who's Senior Portfolio Manager and Research Analyst for Global Credit. Richard, let's have a look first, perhaps, at the, the fiscal policy and what we're expecting with this budget. How do you expect it to play out for Australian credit? What are the big industry themes? Yes, thanks, Katrina. Good morning. Um, you know, we do know that the RBA and the government has been working really closely to support the Australian economy, and we think this will continue but um, the heavy lifting from here really needs to be done by fiscal. And so in this regard, um, as you mentioned, the Australian budget will be released tonight and is expected to contain a range of measures to support the economic recovery. So this will definitely have implications for domestic credit quality. Um, you know, firstly, we, we expect the personal income tax is that are currently scheduled for 2022 and potentially the cuts that are scheduled for 2024 to be brought forward. The hope here obviously is that consumers will spend this tax, tax cut and this will help sectors including retail, construction, among many others um, to perform. Additionally, the budget should include new subsidies to directly support businesses to increase their hiring and investment and this with a particular focus on the uh, manufacturing industry. There should also be um, increased federal spending on infrastructure, um, likely including for energy production and transmission. A little bit away from the budget, um, you know, and something that was announced last week um, that we also think is very important was um, the Treasurer Josh Feidenberg um, announced changes to the law that govern mortgage, personal loans and credit cards. And, and we think this was very significant. These changes are expected to increase the access to credit across the economy. The Treasurer actually said at the time during the announcement, um, as Australia continues to recover from COVID, it's important more than ever that unnecessary barriers to the flow of credit um, and households are removed. Um, and and finally, just on, on, on regulation, the government is also set to change the insolvency laws, and this will allow small and medium-sized businesses um, really to uh, 
um, to run their own restructuring plans. And this is very similar to the US Chapter 11 arrangements. So really cutting a lot of red tape here. You know, it, it is um, interesting to note, however, that large businesses will continue to be subject to the existing insolvency rules. So these measures may be the first step towards a pickup in credit growth, essentially to kickstart the economy and could also signal the beginning of the end for really creeping regulatory burden from banks. Thanks very much, Richard. So in conclusion, we've got a uh, global economy and, and global markets that are still extremely influenced by the US election, I, I think, as we look out uh, to the next few weeks. Uh, as Stuart said, um, there is more, much more relative strength coming out of the US economy than Europe. But we've got a key week here in Australia, and, and thank you, Richard, for sharing some of those views on how Australian businesses and industry might be able to profit from some of the fiscal handouts that are going to be coming. I'm Katrina King. It's Tuesday the 6th of October and you've been listening to QIC's podcasts.